Apparently, from what I understand, Shanahan told Sheldon Keefe that while he likes him and his body of work, he wants to leave it up to the new GM. And I believe Shanahan has told the core four that he prefers to have them all kept there, but the new GM is going to have a voice in all of this. On the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 Fan, you can turn your speakers back up. No more spoiler alerts from Succession. Don't listen to the end of the pod if you haven't watched. Has anyone yelled at Succession. you yet? No, it's everyone's very respectful in the text line. They said, "Thank you for the heads up." Okay. Um, we've been <laughs> we've been researching during the break as well. <clears throat> so let me get this teed up here. First of all, our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. You can visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Jeff Merrick. Merrick, a Czech masculine name entrenched in Roman mythology. Merrick is certain to draw plenty of attention, long linked to Mars, the ancient god of war. Merrick may even inspire a few respectful salutes should the baby follow in the deity's footsteps. A variant of Marcus, Merrick inherits the myriad of meanings, not least of all, (laughs) dedicated to Mars and warlike. Jeff Merrick. Mm. From the Jeff Merrick Show and Coast of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Good morning. Okay. So, okay, very good. A-list, Justin, good morning. Okay, so there's something to that that I got to tell you, and this is maybe why I've, like, spent my whole life having identity issues. Okay, so the last name is Merrick. Mm -hmm. The first name is Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. So Merrick means warlike or sort of derived from Mars, the uh, other bringer of war. Um, But do you know what Jeffrey means? Um, No. <laughs> she couldn't Google that. I'm enough. typing as fast as I can. What does Peaceful. it mean? Oh. Peaceful. So maybe you're just you're both. You can be both. That's kind of there's, there's a bit so, of a hockey connection there. Peaceful war. I I mm. guess I don't know. And so that was so I was adopted, and so when I was when I was adopted, um, my name changed obviously uh, to Jeffrey James Merrick. So peaceful, warlike. Okay, enjoy that one, Merrick. Um, but my birth name, and I still have the original birth certificate. I was uh, I was seven days with this name. Mm. You ready for it? I'm ready. Keegan Sean Lachlan. Holy, are you like a mythical? Creature, <laughs> uh, English Scottish. It is. It's it's very uh, Lord Sean of the Rings. Keegan Sean Lockley. I think Jeff Merrick clicks. It's like you could host a podcast and have your own show, he and does. you could be wow. It was meant to I be. Liked, I, I just always liked that it ended with a hard K, that it ended with a hard consonant because it, it's a natural stop. There you That's go. The I liked it. Uh, there was a natural stop to the Western Conference final last night with the Golden Ooh. the Golden Knights looking pretty, pretty dominant. So, uh, <laughs> no, we could talk about Jamie Benn. We could talk about that segue. We could talk yeah. about Jake Ottinger's struggles. Or we could talk about whether or not anyone can beat specifically that first period from the Vegas Golden Knights. Pretty good, eh? Like, um, well, I mean, that was, you know, that was, I mean, Dallas was always playing with fire with this one, always surrendering the first goal. In the last couple of games, uh, they were able to to overcome and overcome quite quickly. But you're playing with fire, man, when you let Vegas score first. Um, like the, the one thing that I really love about the Vegas Golden Knights is, well, one, they're deep and they can roll four. And two, they can, they can play any style. And this is what I think is going to make the Stanley Cup final pretty compelling is that you have both teams that can play any style of game. Right, they can play like a really tight checking two to one game. They can play a wide open seven six game. Um, they can play a tough game. There's you know a lot of you know a lot of robust players on 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 either side here. Uh, and also, if you just want to go skill for skill, I mean, both sides are are pretty cool with that too. 
Um, I, I think that that was an example last night of the Vegas Golden Knights saying, okay, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. We're just going to end this thing. We're going to, to snuff this thing out. We're going to put three past uh, Ottinger quickly, and we're just going to end this thing. And then, oh, yeah, Marcia So is going to score on the first shot of the second period. That was, that was Bruce Cassidy and his team putting their foot down and saying, we're ending this quick. Man, I, uh, that's... Um, uh, American Airlines is a is a really noisy rink. It's a it's a really great hockey rink, and those fans are awesome. But they got quiet fast. Mm-hmm. They got stunned. Mm-hmm. That was a speed bagging yesterday <laughs> by the Vegas Golden Knights. Is what that is. Like you know, you've heard the metaphor of taking the drink out of the fire hose. That was it. Like they barely got in their seats. Like after the after the anthem was over to sit down and watch a hockey game. Next thing you know, it was two cob. That was that was a real impressive performance by the Vegas Golden Knights. That's the most obvious statement of the day. Is this the best Vegas team we've seen across six years? I mean, they had to make concessions if you're going to add guys like Petro, Stone, Eichel over the course of a couple years stretch. And I guess that was with their goaltending, even though they have a bunch of goaltenders on their roster and they added a guy like Jonathan Quick. Um, but when I look at this team, or at least before last night, I looked at this team, I was like, I'm not really sure, even with Eichel, if this is the best Vegas team that we've seen. But... Maybe last night convinced me. Better forward group, better defense. I would still argue that, that this isn't the best goaltending we've seen. I mean, that was with Marc Andre Fleury um, in his his in his miracle years with the uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights. But Aiden Hill's done great. I mean, outside of Game Five, I guess to a certain extent, Game Four, um, Aiden Hill's been excellent. But I'll I'll still take you know Vegas Prime. We have to call him Vegas Prime, Marc Andre Fleury. But other than that. I mean, look at this back end that they roll out, like Martinez and Petrangelo and Shea Theodore. And uh, I think that Nick Haig is going to be an absolute star in this league. And then you look at you look at how deep and, and, and how how everybody contributes up front. I mean, who was it? I mean, it was Keegan Colasar last night that you can come away with and say, that guy salted the game away for the Vegas Golden Knights. And... Of all, and I think we talked about it here on the show after the um, uh, after the uh, the trade deadline. It's not always the moves that you make that are the big splashes at deadline. It's the smaller moves that don't get a lot of headlines that end up being the most impactful. Spot quiz for you two: of all of the players moved at deadline, who has the most points in the playoffs right now? Ooh, <laughs> moved Ivan at Barbashev. deadline. Yeah, Ivan that makes sense. Yeah. 50, 15 points. I remember. I remember. The, I think it was the three of us talking about this, saying, "You know what? Really quietly, Kelly McCrimmon may have made the best move mm. by bringing in Barbashev, playoff guy, physical." I mean, you look at how Bruce Cassidy's used him. He's used him up on that top line with with Eichel and Marsha. So that is a dynamic line, and he's also used that on the fourth line. That the guy can, he is he is like your 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 ultimate Swiss Army knife, and that guy is going to get paid uh, in the off season because every team covets a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Barbashev's been great. Um, outside of the very first game in these playoffs where Eichel looked completely lost and overwhelmed, like, whoa, this is a pace that I wasn't ready for. Eichel's been fantastic. And if you go, like, right now, you're going to, the, the conversation for, you know, who the best player on the Florida Panthers is revolves between Bobrovsky and Matthew Kachuk. Eileen goaltender on that one, but we'll see. we got another, you know, we got a Stanley Cup final here before we decide the Conn Smythe. But 
I know that Mark Stone, um, you know, with his with his 15 points and the leadership and all that kind of stuff, and Chandler Stevenson uh, uh, with eight goals and William Carlson with uh, with double digits on on goals for this team have been excellent. But is there a better player on this team than Jack Eichel? Like, is this not like the ultimate redemption tour mm-hmm. for Jack Eichel for everyone? And I listen, you know what this is going to do, right? You thought that McDavid came out this past season mm. with a burning intensity, the likes of which we've never seen before. If Jack Eichel wins the Stanley Cup before Connor McDavid, what's that going to do for 97 and Edmonton? Oh, boy. Wait, right? More, more records being broken. <laughs> <laughs> can there be more? I, there sure can. I guess. <laughs> but, like, that's what we're looking at here right now. Like, Eichel's been fantastic. And it's not just, like, offensive Eichel. It's, like, back check Eichel. Yeah. It's defensive play Eichel. Like, he's... He's he's reminding us here that you know that uh, that Buffalo Vegas trade wasn't as as lopsided as Buffalo Sabres fans uh, want to portray it as. <laughs> okay, speaking of trades and moves at the deadline, uh, let's get to the Maple Leafs GM search. So we talked about this before yep. we brought you on about you know Doug Armstrong's been floated around, but he has yet to say anything or to say that he's not interested or he's happy where he is. Um, any anything to the fact that there's been some silence, or is it just because he's been a little busy overseas? I would uh, again like I, I think what. It's it's a really good question. Uh, I think that he would want the job. I think the question is, you know, a I don't think he has an out, and I don't think that the owner of St. Louis Blues, Tom Stillman, has any desire to let him out. Now, could Stillman just you know hand the the, the whole thing over to to Scott Mellenby? And say, oh, okay, you run the the St. Louis Blues rebuild, and you know, Army, thanks so much for for the Stanley Cup in 2019. We'll let you chase um, uh, this if you feel that this is what you want to do. You know, there are a lot of owners, and he just recently signed a contract extension in St. Louis. There are a lot of owners in the NHL. I think that would be amenable to letting people out of their contract, but they want something for it. And the problem with that is you're not allowed to do that. Like once upon a time, you could actually, you could trade coaches. You know, the Quebec Nordiques and the New York Rangers, once upon a time when Phil Esposito was running the Rangers, made a trade for Michel Bergeron. The, Le Petit Tigre became the head coach of the New York Rangers, and the Rangers sent a first-round draft pick the other way. Uh, that pick turned into Daniel Doré from Drummondville ended up being like a fifth or sixth overall pick. But nonetheless, you could do that, you know. <laughs> but um, right now, you can't compensate either with the draft pick or, you know, with, uh, with, with cash, the trading of a manager. So this has got to mm. be one of those complete acts of benevolence. You know, Tom Stillman just lets Doug Armstrong uh, out of his contract and says, hey, thanks so much for the cup. You, uh, you know, peace out and chase your dream in Toronto. Yeah, that was kind of my next question. Like, it, what kind of bothers me about this situation is that it seems like, and it's it's no disrespect, but that the Leafs are kind of reduced to executive scraps where you're just looking at guys who don't have jobs right now. And I don't know if that's befitting of an organization like the Maple Leafs in a position like they're in right now. But if you can't go out and cut a check to the St. Louis Blues for $30 million for Doug Armstrong, well, then that's the, <laughs> you can't do it, right? Like, that, that, that that's kind of where I was going. Like, why can't the Leafs just kind of spend and, and, and muscle their way into the right partnership here? 
I understand it. I like the idea of using cash as a weapon. Uh, I think that the NHL should be more constructed around that vibe. Um, I, I don't disagree with you, but I, I, I don't disagree with, uh, with, um, with, with a lot of that thinking. I've always been a luxury tax guy myself uh, to allow some of the bigger teams to, to flex some financial muscle. But that's just, that's just the way the system is created. And that's just the way that the, 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 the system works here. Um, you know, that's why, that's why they didn't play hockey for a year so they could get things like this, uh, which, which, you know, the, the underlying message to all of it is I'm going, you know, this, this was, you know, the NHL commissioner, I'm going to rein in your spending. And, and now you're going to see your franchise values, you know, reach into the billions of dollars all of a sudden. So I know it stinks. Um, but then, you know, when you, when you, when you figure out, you know, what the real game of hockey is here for these owners and that is franchise value, well, you know, Gary Bettman's doing what he wants. We don't care about that as fans. That's fine. You get a billion dollars for your franchise. Good for you. I go to watch hockey games, and I want to see a competitive team, and I want to see my team flex their muscles uh, as as best they can. I understand exactly what you're saying, Justin, and I agree with it, and I wish the uh, the NHL system was built more around allowing bigger market teams to do that. That ain't the way of this league. This is trying to create as much parity as possible and, by extension, create larger franchise values. And you know what? If that's the real game, it's been a success. We're talking to our peaceful warrior, Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show. <laughs> host of 32 Thoughts, a podcast. All right. Okay. What a good laugh this morning. All right. Before we let oh, you go, just, I got a good one. my first you. laugh of the morning. Oh, it is a rich it. one. Dead. Good that for felt you. good. Hey, get that out. Um, wow. At 8.30, yeah. we'll have, we're going to have Milan Lucic on the show at 8.30. Uh, oh, no way. Medalist. Can I? Well, Can I'm I asking pause you for a, for a tidbit because I know you probably have one. A factoid, a story, a tidbit. You know, I, I am so. There's a lot of people that I'm really happy for Him. on that. Like first, first of all, I'm I'm really happy for um, Latvia, all of Latvia, not just the hockey team, yes. not just the coaches, not just the managers. Did you see their celebration. The the entire country it's so beautiful you know i've always maintained latvian hockey fans are the best in the world mm. period and you if if you if you if you look yesterday and you saw the visuals of you know the uh, the the arriving hockey players and the thousands that came out to greet them and <laughs> you know flowers being placed at the at the us embassy after the win like these are beautiful hockey people <laughs> they don't care if they win lose tie draw, whatever they they show up at all these tournaments and they're singing and they're dancing and their you know arms are joined and they just it's just like we talk so much about hockey joy that it's just a beautiful thing that they're rewarded for this and i think about all the players all the latvian hockey players going back to helmut balderas who would have been the first into the nhl was a draft pick at the age of 36 um you know latvian hockey players that have sort of paved the way for for what we saw over the weekend really happy for them happy for the german squad as well they come home with some hardware for the world hockey championships beautiful for that country but when it comes to team canada there's a couple of people that are, i'm really really happy for and milan lucic might be on the top of that list now milan lucic was as we all know a big part of that boston bruins stanley cup win and a big part of a lot of boston bruins stanley cup runs and over the past few seasons milan lucic has heard a lot 
about his game and his position in the game. And when he was named to the team, you know, there was a lot of groaning. You know, Tyler Myers talked about, you know, had the Instagram post about, oh, mm-hmm. so this is the worst team Canada ever <laughs> coming home with the, with, the, with, the, with the gold medal. I'm happy for a lot of players on this team. And I think top of it is Milan Lucic. I don't know what's going to happen to Milan Lucic on July 1st. I, I, I really don't know. I don't know what he wants. I don't know what the NHL market wants. I know that this is someone that's gone through um, a lot of things in his personal life that I don't think any of us would wish on anybody else. And he's had to endure hearing a lot of things about his game and have his spot in the NHL over the past few seasons questioned. And I'll tell you what, if that Adam Fantilli goal was the goal of the <laughs> tournament, check out who passed him the puck. Yep. It was a great pass by, <laughs> by by Milan Lucic, and it was great hearing Fantilli afterwards talk about. Oh, I watched, and I know I know hockey players hate him. He said, "Oh, he watched him growing up, like <laughs> <That's> he <was> <laughs> instantly old." But there's Fantilli doing it. So I like he's he's someone that is uh, a measuring stick for toughness, both on and off the ice. Uh, I love one of my secret guilty pleasures is watching Milan Lucic entrances to the arena and when he puts on all black when he wears all black you know it's rock and roll time you know it's like I remember Marty McSorley told me a story one day he came in from Pittsburgh to Edmonton big trade and all he wanted he's young and all he wanted to do was fight all the time and Dave Semenko was the sheriff at that point and uh, Semenko would always say Marty we're not doing it today no Marty we're not doing it today no Marty we're not doing it today and then Marty told me one day he came to the rink and he walked into the dressing room. And there's Dave Semenko and he's, he's taping up his hands. And he says, Marty, every now and then we must remind them. And tonight we remind them. Ooh. And I think of Milan, like, just creepy, right? And uh, <laughs> it's, that, was Dave, that was the late, Semenko was so good. Um, and I, I think of, you know, Lucic when he's wearing all black, then you know it's it's rock and roll time for Lucic. I am, like, honestly, Ayla Shesson, I am so happy for that guy. That like that that was the first person I thought of when when Canada beat Germany. Well, we're excited to talk with him um, at eight thirty. You'll have to tune in. I knew you'd had some tidbits, so appreciate you flexing on us. I don't know if it's much a tidbit no, as much as stories. I just I'm, I'm really happy for Milan Lucic. I threw you a Dave Semenko story. You know, yeah. what Dave Semenko used to say. By the here's here's a story for you. Know what, <laughs> I loved Semenko. You know what Semenko used to say before fights? I don't know. This is so good. Imagine this. So this is Dave Semenko, right? King of the jungle, like top dog. So you know how guys will like pull up next to each other on a draw. Come on, we're going to go and drop the puck. Bro. He's all this bro stuff, right? Come yes. on, we're doing this. We're doing this. <laughs> Semenko, this is so good. Semenko would pull up next to a guy and he'd say, now just imagine this in this low, deep, basso, profundo voice. He'd pull up next to a guy and he'd say, why don't you and I go on a little canoe ride? Oh, God. That's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> canoe oh, ride. My goodness. Oh, boy. Yeah, I would, uh, uh, so I, would I would. be skating the opposite direction yeah. if it was me. You and I go on a little canoe ride. Ooh, spooky stuff. <laughs> um, well, Jeff, thanks for everything this morning. Uh, good to chat, and we'll chat with you next week. <laughs> uh, peaceful warrior. The yes, best. Goodbye, okay, peaceful have a great warrior. morning, everyone. Have a great morning, thanks, you too. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, host of 32,000 Podcasts, and 
the peaceful warrior of our Tuesday morning and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Uh, I get what the peaceful warrior is saying about, you know, <laughs> how you parody and you can't spend your way out of problems. Last time I checked, though, pretty costly hockey operations department for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I guess you can't mm-hmm. go and spend to get assets from other teams. I don't know, but you could probably find a way to make it worth everyone's while, couldn't you? If you go on the website, there's a lot of people on that list of hockey ops. Like, I don't think, you know, I don't think Haley Wickenizer's making chump change. I don't I think Jason Spezza was making do. chump change. I think I there's she was some, at the Mem Cup. I think it's a pretty expensive boardroom there. That's certainly something to chew on. I, 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 we should transition to the chew, for sure, but... Uh, yeah, I just I think the the Dougie silence is something. I think it's it's we'll something. Have to ask the until guy we, on the plane with until him. we hear something, <laughs> I'm going to be crossing my fingers, hoping it's okay. Doug Armstrong. All right. Well, it's time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum yum yum. <laughs> our our names, our name meanings. No, uh, we can do that later. But uh, interesting thing um, people get their car stolen unfortunately a lot I feel like it's it's happening quite a okay, lot hard pivot there to uh, uh, theft. <laughs> Kenny Pickett <laughs> Kenny Pickett had his car stolen uh this past week and of course losing your car is part one of the struggle the difficulty um it sucks w- it, I imagine. it sucks it hasn't happened to me knock on wood but I know some people that it has happened to our our cars don't get stolen no, they're looking at our mind being like I don't even lock my door. (laughs) They're like, "Eh, I'll pass. There's nothing in there. Um, But so the stolen SUV had something very, very important to it. The Steelers playbook in the backseat of the vehicle at this time. So the police try hunting down the car. He cares less about the vehicle and more about the playbook because, of course, at that point, what happens if this person does something with the playbook, posts Mm. it, sells it, whatever. I believe it was all recovered. But I wonder in that span of time, if your playbook is stolen, I mean, it's like a long time before the NFL season begins, but you got to rewrite that whole thing. What happens at that point? If it happened know. later in the season, obviously May 30th, you're probably okay. I'm no expert on selling stolen goods, but like, couldn't someone who got that playbook figure out a way to sell it? Not that like the Arizona Cardinals would be out there <laughs> trying to buy the stolen playbook. On eBay? But it's a pretty valuable little asset. Christopher no? Carter, 60-year-old resident, was charged with theft. 60-year-old. It's it's strange. SUVs. Okay. Yeah. He was uh, identified and charged <laughs> because of stealing Kenny Pickett's playbook and his vehicle. Um, all right. We got lots to come uh, today. So, so they do find stolen cars. <laughs> yeah. I know that's happening. A teammate of mine previously, we were, it was, I think when I was maybe like 10, we were at a hockey tournament and the car was stolen mm. and they were obviously upset about the car. But his entire bag of goalie gear and pads and everything was in it, and that was almost that was like I'd be mad about missing the plus game. Plus dollars, yeah, true. Um, that yeah, I forget what happened there. I don't. I, my memory escapes me. I'm you'd not ra- Jeff Merrick. You'd rather steal a car with a playbook than a sweaty than gear, sweaty hockey gear, probably. Yeah. Um, Kevin Harlan is going to join us on the other side of the play, uh, of the other side of the break. Play-by-play announcer, uh, NBA and TNT, and of course NFL on CBS and Westwood One. He has called a lot of iconic moments in his career. He's been right there when uh, last night's game ended and the Miami Heat advanced to the NBA Finals. We'll go through all of that and a little Nick Nurse talk about his trip to Philadelphia and his new reign with Joel Embiid. That's next on the Fan Morning Show. 
Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we did some Googling about our names after talking to our peaceful warrior, Jeff Merrick. And I'll give you a Justin's and my own first name meetings because it's a bit more. First name meetings? And last names. Okay. My first name is obviously unique. Ailish uh, <clears throat> apparently now has risen to the height of popularity with Billie Eilish coming into the scene. So thanks to that. The name Ailish means noble and kind. Mm. <laughs> Just kidding. I think that's really nice. Noble and kind. Oh, you were giving yourself the buzzer. I thought you were, I was. I thought it was like something bad. I was like bracing for I the was. actual meaning of it. Um, and for Justin, Justin means just or upright or righteous. Mm. Play the play the buzzer. <laughs> um, but your last name, Cuthbert. Oh, it's got some uh, some good stuff here. It is English from the Middle English name of Cuthbert, Old English. Elements of Cuth, well-known, of bright and famous. The name was born by a 7th century Christian saint, Bishop of Hexham. You're flirting with an accent. Just go full, <laughs> go full and on. And later of Lindisfarne. Anyway, it's, uh, you have a, a bright. deep, you have a deep history in righteous Old and English. Bright. Old English roots. First name Righteous, last name Bright. Is that <laughs> That's what you're... right. Well-known, bright and famous. Okay. And righteous and... Wow, so you're basically a celebrity. What about Forfar? There's nothing there? Forfar is a town in Scotland. <laughs> Aren't you like part owner of a team or something? I am. It's a uh, a market town in East Scotland, uh, the administrative center of Angus, site of a castle, resident of Scottish kings between the 11th and 14th century. You know what we should have done to properly transition to our next interview? Should have looked up Harlan. Because there was a legend walking around at Logan International Airport. Actually, we were like discussing whether or not this would be a, pri- Harland, a private bird for Harlan or gray not? Grayland or hairland derived from the old English words of har, which means gray, or hara, meaning hair. He Harland, does have good hair. Harlan was originally a surname given to those who lived in land populated with hairs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Grayland. Uh, I don't know if there's a great transition there, but we caught up with Kevin Harlan this morning <laughs> while he was at the airport in Boston on his way home to an off season. Folks. Yeah, he was he couldn't be more kind and righteous and bright with his time right. in the morning. So uh we caught up with that legend this morning and we'll play that interview now. Okay, this is a treat. We have one of the legendary voices in sports broadcasting. You hear him on the NFL and CBS and Westwood One, and you heard him on the call for Game 7 between the Miami Heat and Boston Celtics last night. It's Kevin Harlan of TNT. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Good to be on with you folks. Uh, great to have you on. Uh, so last night wasn't a classic by any stretch of the imagination, but it was very, very entertaining. How would you describe what we saw last night? Well, game six was probably the game seven, right? I mean, game six had so much drama to it. It was right down to the right down to the wire. And last night was uh, a little bit underwhelming. Uh, but it's always, I think, a shock when a game seven Uh, With that kind of atmosphere, with a historic, iconic team like the Celtics, who had the best overall rating all season long, uh, lost to an eight seed on their home floor. And Miami has beaten Boston. The uh, Heat have beaten the the Celtics three times in this series on that floor. To to me, that was stunning. That, That 
they could not protect their home floor. And at the end, when the Celtics take a look at their playoff season, uh, they went five and six at home uh, during the playoffs. And and you just can't. You've got to you've got to defend your home floor. And they just could not do it. And that, quite frankly, was the difference in the series. Uh, the the mental uh, fortitude and just the composure that the Heat showed all series long was even when they were losing, even when they were in that three-game losing streak, they, they continued to show enough that you knew game seven was going to be close. And sure enough, it was not close. It went the other way, and Miami wins it. And so here we have an eight seed, the lowest-scoring team in the regular season, the lowest-rated team that made the playoffs <laughs> going against going against Denver. It, it, it's pretty mind-boggling, to be quite honest. It seemed like Boston was uh, unable to capitalize on that pregame atmosphere. You know, Kenny Smith pregame said that it was the first time since he retired that he missed playing that atmosphere. We could tell through the through the TV screen, at least, that it was pretty electric. <laughs> what was it like being in in the Garden for the pregame? And then obviously, it kind of it kind of died out a little bit when the when Miami took a lead. But it just seemed like the Boston Celtics fans had come to show up for their team. Oh yeah, they, they were they were ready. Uh, they, they the place was hopping and it was juiced and ready to go. And and when they sang the national anthem, um, you know sometimes you get a crowd that's kind of into it, and sometimes a crowd will kind of hoot and howl, and 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 you can tell they they sang every word of the national anthem, and they sang in full throat. But they, I mean, seventeen, eighteen thousand people were singing at the top of their lungs. And it was, it was, uh, it almost brought a tear to your eye, to be quite honest. On on Memorial Day here in the States, Mm -hmm. like, so it was a big day in terms of remembering the men and women that have served in our armed forces and continue to serve and and protect our country. And, and we'd like to thank yours as well and vice versa. And they, they were, they were really into it. And I think they felt like, okay, the Celtics have won three straight, um, our Bruins in the NHL, who were historically the number one team uh, in the regular season that had a record number of wins and points scored, um, that, that, you know, this will make amends for another Florida team beating our Bruins, you know, a month and a half ago, and it didn't happen. So here we've got two South Florida teams, the Panthers and the Heat, that have taken out both the Bruins and the Celtics. It's 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 kind of unfathomable, quite honestly, that teams that good could lose the teams that were the eighth seed and kind of an afterthought coming into the postseason. Yeah, it's a good time to be doing Miami radio. Uh, we we wouldn't know that feeling right now. Uh, so you're you're doing your preparations. Missoula and the Celtics are doing theirs. Spolstra and the Heat doing the same. And then everyone's thrown a curveball with the Jason Tatum injury so early into the game. I mean, it changed the dynamic of that game and the tenor of that game, but it changes the dynamic for you guys. So how much do you think the Tatum injury sort of changed what was planned, I guess, for Game 7 last night? Uh, that's an excellent point. I, I think it had a profound effect, and I was surprised, actually, that it affected him so much. Uh, this is a pretty deep Boston team. This is a Boston team that has got many ways to get you, and they had shown that over the last three games and all wins. And um, I, I get it. He's, he's the best player. He's a first-team All-NBA player. But you've also got another guy named Jalen Brown, who was a second-team All-NBA player. So he had two of the top ten players in the NBA on that team and a very strong bench and a terrific sporting cast and playing at home, the momentum of three consecutive wins. 
Uh, I, I thought actually Miami until Game Six had looked tired and mentally spent, and I will never second guess them again. If there was a difference that could go beneath just the the, the things that you see optically, the, the the style of play, the body language, the enthusiasm, the intensity, all those things. If you knock that out, the mental fortitude, the mental strength of Miami, I think was 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 a pretty good constant through the entire series, especially the first three games where the Heat went up 3-0. They, they just mentally look stronger. And I, and I can't figure out why Boston, who has a veteran team, and they have been to the finals here for a couple years in a row against Miami, and they've been in the finals five of the last seven years with basically the same group, why they didn't have that same you know, mental strength and that's not to criticize the fact that they, they couldn't handle it mentally. Surely they could. But it just seems that Miami is built on a couple different kinds of principles. They don't have the talent and, and overall that, that Boston has, for sure. They use four undrafted players that are rotational players, important players, support players that they rely on a lot, more so than Boston relies on their supporting players. And And yet, at the end of the day, Miami always showed – a strength mentally that was very impressive, even in losing. And they lose that game by one at the buzzer in game six down in South Florida. You're thinking, boy, what are they going to come in like? You know, what's their frame of mind coming into game seven on the road? And you know the place is going to be, you know, really hyped up and jacked up. And and sure enough, uh, they withstood the, the avalanche of noise and emotion before the game. They had a look in their eye, and their deportment on the floor had – had you thinking, oh, my, they mean business. And you could see it really from the opening tip, and it showed at the course at the end, and they, they ran away with it. And, and uh, so if you watch them enough, you see that this team is, is not your typical eight seed, not at all. They're, they're, they're a different breed and a different, a different quality of team. They were the number one seed. Miami was the number one seed a year ago. So it probably shouldn't surprise us much that they're in this position right now. They were good last year. They had a ton of injuries this year. They got healthy in March. And they are now what they thought they'd be the entire season. Being able to rebound from that gut-wrenching loss in Game 6, as you mentioned, come back and, and on the road be able to play the way they did was is pretty impressive. But we have to ask you about that Game 6 buzzer-beater moment. Uh, I know you've called some similar ones here. Uh, we'll get to that with the Kawhi shot. But I, I wonder about the Derek White moment in terms of you're watching live, you're calling it live, maybe the best practices to getting that accurate when it seemed like nobody really knew what was going on. And, and just from your point of view, how crazy that finish was. Well, as a, uh, as a broadcaster, you're, you're looking for a couple of things. First of all, you're always watching the clock and the, uh, the light that goes on that, that outlines the backboard, the light and the horn. And then you look at the officials and I looked and I saw the, the, the light. I heard the horn. I wasn't sure if the shot got off in time. And then I looked at the officials for some kind of definitive, you know, motion one way or the other, and they were all looking at each other. So they were as confused as I was. So the best thing to do is to say what you see. And, and I, I have kind of done that with, with everything I've done. I, I, I said what I saw. And, uh, and there was a lot of, a lot of not, and confusion is not the right word. It was just like hesitancy to make sure they got it right. Of course, they had to review it because everything at the buzzer is reviewed. 
Um, but even the guy that, that put the basket in, that put the, the, the missed shot back in there, Derek White didn't know. He thought he knew. The coach didn't know. The players didn't know. And everyone kind of looked around and go, well, what just happened? What just happened? And so, you know, there, there needed to be some clarity, and that's the great thing about, about replay is that it provides that. And sure enough, they showed it. And we knew instantly that he had gotten the shot off in time. It was miraculous. And what was even more interesting about that play is that the guy that got the winning shot was the guy that inbounded the ball with three seconds. So you figure there's a half second that goes by with him throwing the ball in, right? And then he goes to the corner. Then he runs down the baseline. And then he taps it in and still beat the buzzer. Now, that's a lot of movement and a lot of area to cover in less than three seconds. But he did it, and uh, that's what made it – so amazing. And, you know, uh, down by 10, Miami didn't blink at home. They came back, and Butler was great, and they went up by by one, and then, of course, they lost at the buzzer. So you're thinking, well, surely the momentum now is in favor of the Celtics. They're going back home. They can they can taste another finals. They were in the finals a year ago. They, they know what it takes, and they've got the backing. And usually role players play better at home. So while the while the game ended in a kind of in a kind of a, a sudden and dramatic way, um, it, it didn't really affect Game Seven clearly because Boston could not carry that same emotion and elation into that game that they showed at the end of Game Six. So um, I, it, it ended probably the way it should have. Here's a team that that uh, Miami that went up three nothing and then lost that lead and was tied at three. No team in the history of the NBA playoffs in a seven-game series, um, has uh, has ever come back to win being in a 3-0 hole. And that's what Boston was looking at. And 150 teams going into last night had failed, and now it's 151, and Boston failed. I wonder if you thought at all about that Kawhi shot. I mean, this is specifically lives in the Raptors lore here, um, the Raptors title run in 2019. I know you got to call that one as well. I, I, in your reflection, did you think, oh, maybe a little bit of a parallel there? I mean, we're, we're excited to, you know, relive that moment. It's been on our timelines ever since, but um, I wonder if you had any uh, memory of that moment too. Nothing, nothing will compare to what Kawhi did in the corner <laughs> hitting the deck and, and having that ball bounce four times. <laughs> I, I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't do that a thousand times and have the same result, right? I mean, um, for that shot to go in on that kind of a play, um, to decide a series, there have only been a handful of plays like that. To decide, you know, a last-second shot in a seventh game to decide a series, and uh, and that, that shot will be one of the greatest shots in the history of the NBA. And even if he was there for a short time in Toronto, people will never forget that name and that season clearly because they became NBA champs. Um, but but that's the kind of shot that that's a generational shot. You just don't you just don't see it. So while you may hope that you have something close to it, and even the, the putback by Derek White didn't didn't come to that. I mean, it was great. Didn't decide the series. It did even it up, and that that made it certainly interesting going into Game Seven. But at home and a game seven on a shot like that, uh, that that was that was something that will live forever. They'll be talking about that for decades to come, and and that's kind of a nice little niche that Toronto has uh, in NBA history. Uh, and like the white moment, uh, the call was befitting of the moment with uh, Kawhi. Um, so the Eastern Conference Final, Western Conference Final MVP, maybe the most meaningless thing in terms of like major awards handed out. But I wonder if you think Caleb Martin got robbed just a little bit after his performance down the stretch in this series. Caleb was terrific. I, 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 in a lot of ways, think that, although what 
Jimmy did when they needed it in Game Six. He brought him back. He was certainly at the uh, at the forefront of their attack last night. Um, uh, I, and I have great respect for him, and he clearly is the engine that makes that team go. But without Caleb Martin, I they don't win that series, quite frankly. And and he was magnificent in every way. Here's an undrafted player that's been with a couple teams and hard trying to get some traction in the league, four years in the league. And actually, a, a Miami area rapper is the one who suggested him to Spolster in the Heat that they should bring him in for a tryout, and they did. And he stuck, and now he's in this kind of a role. So he, to me, would have gotten my MVP vote. We only get one, and Reggie took Butler. And I can't, I can't argue with that. But I would, I would say, in my mind, what I saw and what I, uh, you know, kind of processed with what he was doing. Caleb Martin clearly, to me, was the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's the end of the season for you, uh, if I have my facts straight. What's the feeling like for you at the end of a season? I mean, you're doing radio with us the next morning, so it's not like you're completely unplugging. Uh, but what's it feel like since you've been doing this for a while and uh, uh, you you had such great moments here just in the rear view? What's the feeling like for Kevin Harlan after the end of this season? Well, last night we uh, at Turner, we've had a, a longtime producer for Inside the NBA. His name is Tim Kiley, and he's been there since 19... 19- 95 and he's retiring and so last night charles gathered everybody up charles barkley did and said we're going out to a place down the street here we're going to have a couple of drinks and salute our friends and that's what we did so i got to bed about two and woke up at four and i'm talking with you folks i'm going to get on a plane here literally in about two minutes <laughs> and fly home and uh, i've got to record the nba 2k video game here for the next month or so i'm going to do that in my closet, <laughs> they've set up a little studio in my closet, so I'm going to go do that, and, uh, and then I'll get some time away. We've got three daughters and a son, and our, our third daughter is getting married. We've, we've had two weddings. We have another one this summer, so I'm going to uh, kind of get ready now for my father of the bride speech and uh, mm. look forward to paying a lot of bills. No, and, that's pressure. And, and, know, <laughs> and know that this is the last of three with my daughters. And uh, and enjoy some time with my wife. Uh, she is uh, she is the hub of our family and has held things together. And we've been on the road here a lot with these playoffs. Done a lot of games, a lot of traveling. And uh, I'm here at the Boston airport this morning as the sun's coming up. And I'm uh, I'm anxious to get home. I'll tell you. Well, we won't keep you much longer. Just one quick question, Kevin, um, about Nick Nurse and his uh, signing with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, we know there's a little bit of a storied relationship with him and Joel Embiid going back and forth a little bit in the media. I think there's still a level of respect there, but an interesting um, future for the two of them nonetheless. Uh, just your thoughts on Nick Nurse taking the coaching job there and if that was the best move for him. Well, I, I, I think it is. He's going to get the MVP. Uh, they may keep Harden. Uh, they've got some good parts. They don't have a lot of depth. Um, I think they've got a very creative general manager. All those jobs, to me, seem to like Phoenix was kind of uh, in that same category because you'd get Durant, but you have an aging roster in Phoenix. So, And Milwaukee was interesting, too, because probably of all the jobs, that was maybe the best because Giannis is still in his prime and they have a couple other players. Chris Middleton's an all-star. I mean, they've got some depth, and they've got a owner with deep pockets. And the, and the Sixers owner's got deep pockets. So um, either way, Philly or Milwaukee, he would have been great. Uh, I like him in Philadelphia as, as well as any place. He knows the East well. Um, I think he's an incredible uh, coach, and um, I think he'll do a great job. A new voice 
in these locker rooms with these players in this day and age, you know, it's interesting to be a coach. You know, you've probably got a lifespan of about three to five years. And Nick had a great run in Toronto. I think he'll do the same in Philadelphia. Probably just what Joel needs to hear. Now, whether they keep Harden or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they're going to play defense in Philly. And uh, I, I thought that Doc Rivers did a great job with that team, too. But um, that's the one thing about, about coaching in the NBA. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And they all understand that. They get paid a lot of money. And they know what the, they know what the landscape of it is. And um, But I do think of all the coaches out there, I think Nick Nurse is a great choice in Philadelphia. And I think he'll enjoy being there and Whenever you get to coach an MVP, it's a pretty special feeling. So I think uh, he'll embrace that, embrace that opportunity, and he'll meet the challenge. And we'll see a lot of him still uh, with a, a little bit of a division-ish rival for us. Yes, so I don't yes, think he's course. not going too, too far. Um, appreciate you so much coming on this morning, especially after a late turnaround. Um, have a safe trip and enjoy some downtime when it comes for you. Aren't you nice? Thank you so much. <laughs> Privilege to be on with you guys, and uh, have a wonderful summer. Thank you so much. You as well. Big summer for Kevin Harlan. Got a wedding. I thought I had a lot of weddings to go at. to. Yeah, no, no. He's a busy guy. Yeah, busy guy. He's going to have to. I don't I wonder how long it takes to do the, the video game. I think he said two months. Yeah, he said at least a month. That's a that's, lot. That's a long slog. Charles he Davis is, would know. Is Charles on a video game? Yeah. Really? Yeah, he's NFL. He does Madden? Yeah. How did I not know that? I don't know. We got to ask him about that. We might need a Charles check I know, check-in, I know a lot about Charles Davis. Clearly, you don't. Well, you've had two years of, you know, building rapport. I've only had one. Can I catch up? Am I allowed to catch up? I think we should catch up you with can. him this summer. I would love to. You said 100 days until the NFL season. 100 days till the start of the this, regular this season. This would have been a nice, you know, check-in point. Oh, I'll just you text know, maybe him. Maybe we'll get that together. Maybe we'll get that together with Charles. Um want to give, give away some tickets? We're giving away tickets twice this morning because we love you and we want you to be a part of Dirk's Bentley coming to Bud Stage this Thursday. All you have to do is text in today's code word. It's the last chance to win, but we'll give you double chances today. Today's code word is high note. Text high note to 59590 for your chance to win. If you don't win with us, be sure to grab your tickets at ticketmaster.ca. High note, that's two words, high space note, high H-I-G-H space note. I want you to win. (laughs) So 59590. Let's finish Tuesday on a high note. There you go. With two more guests, Blake Murphy coming in studio momentarily, and then we'll wrap it up with Milan Lucic, who just won gold for Canada in Latvia and is going to make some, maybe some big decisions this summer. Uh, We'll have all that to come in the final hour of the Fan Morning Show.